Good morning. I'd like to invite you to read through your Bibles and remain standing in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. We are reading from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 39 through 52. Luke, chapter 2, verses 39 through 52. It's found in page, beginning on page 1019 in your pew Bible. So follow along as I read. And then... And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And, in, and when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. God in heaven, we praise you. For the name of Jesus, we thank you that you are holy and you are mighty and you are an awesome God. And we submit our hearts and minds to you today. We confess our sinfulness and waywardness and, and uh, propensity for uh, placing other, others before you and idols in front of you. And God, we confess our sinfulness. And Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word, through your spirit, and through your messenger. And God, we exalt you and, and ask that you would work in mightily in our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bill. Boy, it's already been good to be here. Amen. Man, it's good. Good, good. We have prayed the gospel. We have sung the gospel. And now, uh, by God's grace, we will preach the gospel. Well, don't be afraid has been our theme in this series. The angelic command of the first Christmas is clear. Fear not, for I bring you good news. And boom, just like that, Christmas is over. We're already here on the second Sunday of the new year. And sadly, we already have much to lament as we have prayed this morning. And there's also been enough time for you to fall behind in your daily annual Bible reading plan. Now, 
I want to point something out in Luke chapter 1 through 2 with this final passage in chapter 2, and it's this. There's very little about Jesus' life between his supernatural arrival as a baby in the manger and his sudden appearance as a grown man at the Jordan River to be baptized by John. Thirty years that are typically called the hidden years or the silent years because there's very little except this passage that's revealed about Jesus' life for those 30 years. Oh, there's some apocryphal stories, stories that are not a part of the inspired canon of Scripture that are written much later than the Bible, stories that focus on Jesus performing miracles like making clay birds come to life and calling down curses on groups of boys that were bullying him. You know, when you think about it, those are just the sort of tall tales we humans like to make up to fill the gap in God's silence. Now, we know from Matthew, the visit of the Magi, the threat on Jesus' life, and the flight into Egypt occurred between verses 38 and 39. But But today, in this passage, Dr. Luke records for us the one and only story in the Bible about Jesus' boyhood and his very first recorded words in Scripture. The single incident from his boyhood is... And and so we want to focus on what is it that God wants us to see from this single incident. And it's this, that Jesus remained behind in the temple, his father's house... He remained behind so that he could learn, better learn, the scriptures at the critical age of 12 years old. And why that's critical is because at 13 years old, in the Jewish culture and in that that day, a boy would become a man and would be accountable for uh, obeying the law of God. He would be under the authority of the law now as a young man. But this one incident is bracketed by two growth reports that Bill read. And those two growth reports take you through the first 30 years of Jesus' life. Now look at verse 40. Verse 40 is the summary of the first 12 years of Jesus' life as a boy. Notice, the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. But then, in verse 52, in verse 52 covers the next 18 years of his life, and it says this, And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That brings us to Jesus at the age of 30. And at the age of 30 is when, according to Luke 3.23, Jesus began his public ministry. And the age of 30 was when a priest could begin to publicly serve in the temple. Now, what do we learn from these two growth reports about Jesus' progress from boyhood to manhood? And it's interesting because in verse... 42, or I'm sorry, in verse 40, his growth is more passive. It's sort of the natural growth of growing up, but it's also spiritual growth due to the grace of God. 
But in verse 52, it's a more active growth. Jesus, the young man, is forging ahead. He's making progress. He's advancing towards spiritual maturity. Now, here's what I want to want you to see. What was Jesus doing the first 30 years of his life, according to this passage? And it's really simple. He was growing. He was growing. Jesus grew not just physically, but more importantly, these passages, this passage tells us that he grew spiritually. What do both of these growth reports have in common? They really talk about at least three things. Ongoing growth. He's growing, growing, and he's growing. Increasing wisdom. The emphasis is that he's becoming wiser. And thirdly, he's reaching maturity. Not merely physical maturity, but spiritual maturity. The single most important truth to know about the first 30 years of Jesus' life is that he grew in godly maturity, wisdom, and grace. You see, Jesus didn't just grow old, he grew up. And that's what God wants for each of us. So don't be afraid. Jesus grew, and so can you. I want you to say that. Turn to your socially distant partner there and say, Jesus grew, and so can you. That's the idea of the passage. Instead of giving in to fear that destroys you, choose growth that transforms you. And here's the reality. Our circumstances are difficult. They are difficult. And it doesn't look like 2021 is getting any better after 2020, right? And yet Jesus' circumstances were equally difficult as a young boy. I mean, this guy was poor economically. He was a social outcast coming from the wrong side of the tracks of Galilee. He was considered a bastard child with no legitimate father. He was a mere carpenter that had little influence at his job. His people were enslaved by a ruthless pagan empire. He, he, he was of a young age, and yet no, old, no matter what your age is, we can all grow. And the general climate of Jesus' times that he is growing is one of fear, anxiety, superstition, conspiracy, revolution, apathy, violence, and tyranny. Sounds familiar? But what did Jesus do? He didn't allow his difficult circumstances to be an excuse to slack in his spiritual life. He didn't let the hard times become an excuse to not grow. Instead, Jesus grew, and so can you. And so this morning, I want us to look at four ways that Jesus grew so that you can grow as well. And the first of these is this. Let's look at the meaning of his growth. The meaning of his growth. Now, what's amazing about this simple story about a boy that stays behind and his parents forget to, and, and leave him. By the way, how many of you ever left your kids at church? And forgot, you know, how many of you have ever left your, your, your daughter at Westlake Hardware, like I did? And something that she never lets me forget. 
and it was scary. But you know what? In this simple story, there is a gold mine of profound biblical theology. Why do I say that? Because in this story, we see both the incarnation and the Trinity played out in the boyhood of Jesus. The first thing that we see here is the mystery of the incarnation in his maturation. We see his incarnation in his maturation. Here we have a totally and truly human boy growing into manhood and increasing in wisdom. Jesus went through the diapers of a toddler, the puberty of a teenager, the maturity of an adult. It's all here summarized in these 30 years. He's growing up. He's getting wiser. He's doing what humans do. They grow older, and hopefully they grow wiser. Yet, we know from the previous stories about his birth that he was born of a virgin and conceived by the Holy Spirit so that his name is Emmanuel. God is with us in the person of Jesus. In other words, Jesus is God in human flesh. He is truly human and he is truly God. One scholar describes it well when he says, Jesus isn't almost like us. He didn't come so, as close to experiencing full humanity as God could come without getting going all the way. He had a real body and a real soul. He was really human. Jesus' conception was extraordinary, but his maturation was ordinary and very human. He matured through the same phases as others. He was subject to pain, pleasure, hunger, thirst, fatigue, disappointment, suffering, and death. He thought, he reasoned, and he felt like a man. That's why in the song that we just sing, he could identify with us in those same phases. Why? Because he went through them all yet without sin. The Bible puts it plainly. In all things, he had to be like his brethren because only as a real man could Christ be in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. The Athanasius Creed of the early church put it this way, It is necessary for eternal salvation that one also faithfully believe that our Lord Jesus Christ became flesh. For this is the true faith that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, is both God and man. And although He is God and man, He is not divided, but is one Christ. He is united because God has taken humanity into Himself. He does not transform deity into humanity. He is completely one in the unity of His person, without confusing his natures. And that's what we see in this passage. But we also see the mystery of the Trinity in Jesus' declaration. There's a, a statement of the Trinity here in his declaration. Look at verse 49. When his parents finally realize that he's not with him, they go back, they search for him, and they find him in the temple... Here's what Jesus says. He says, why is it that you were looking for me? 
Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Mary says, your father and I were looking for you. And he said, you should have known I would be in my father's house. And that's a radical statement because nowhere in the Bible had any individual claimed God as their father. Jesus claims I and the father are one because he is truly God. Again, the Athanasius Creed says this, whoever wants to be saved should above all cling to the universal faith. Whoever does not guard it whole and inviolable will doubtless perish in eternity. Now this is the universal faith. We worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the being. For the Father is one person, the Son is another, and the Spirit is still another, but the deity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, equal in glory, co-eternal in majesty. Whoever wants to be saved should think thus about the Trinity. Now, you may be thinking, Chris, what does all of this have to do with the meaning of of Jesus' growth. And I would say to you this morning, it has everything to do with it. Why? Because Jesus became like us so we could become like him. Amen? Jesus became like us so we could become like him. God came down, took on human flesh, and grew so you can too. Let's be amazed by this for a moment. Maybe let me let me play this out. Let me uh, kind of tease this out. We have in this passage God who is all knowing is learning. So you can learn too. God who is unchanging is growing so that you can grow too. God who rules over all is submitting to his parents so that you too can submit to your Heavenly Father. You see, Jesus became like us so we could become like Him. But how did He measure that growth? And how do we know and measure our growth to know if we are growing in Christ? Let's look at the measure of His growth. These two growth reports that Bill read for us in verse 40 and 52 tell us the measure of Jesus' growth. Now, in these, in these passages and verses, and those of you that are serving gloriously in our Awana and children's ministry know that this passage often measures Jesus' boyhood growth in four ways, physically, mentally, spiritually, and socially. And hey, that is certainly a valid way to apply this passage. But listen, when we compare Scripture with Scripture, and we study the meaning of these words in the context of the New Testament, we see the emphasis is on measuring growth in two major ways. And those are the ones I want to focus. Jesus kept growing in godliness and wisdom. When you really step back, yes, we know that he's growing physically, but the emphasis is that he is growing spiritually in godliness and wisdom. You see, if we compare the growth of Jesus in verse 40 
with the growth of his cousin, John the Baptist, in chapter 1, verse 80, we see that when it says Jesus is growing strong, it's especially connected with growing in the Spirit. It's spiritual growth that's really being emphasized. And in verse 50, when we study the word stature in the rest of the Bible, we see that it's especially related to growing into godly and even Christ-like maturity. Plus, the fact that Jesus is growing in wisdom is emphasized two times. And when the people in the temple are listening to the boy Jesus asking and answering questions, they are amazed at his understanding, not mere intellectual knowledge, but the wisdom and insight into the law and the word of God. Now, the measure of Jesus' growth then is mainly twofold. What does godliness and wisdom mean? Well, here's simple definitions. Godliness is living with God at the center of your life. Godliness is where God, you orientate every aspect of your life. You don't just come to church and look good and clean up for church and then during the week live in sin. That's not godliness. Godliness is where I orientate orientate everything to God. And it's not perfection. It's saying even when I sin, I orientate it to God and I come to Him in repentance because His kindness leads us to repentance. Now, what's wisdom? Wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective and living accordingly. And so when we orientate our life to God... We gain wisdom because then we see life from God's perspective and godliness then chooses to live that way in all aspects of our life. So what we need to ask ourselves on this second Sunday of 2021 is this. Am I growing in godliness? Am I living with God at the center of my life? Am I growing in wisdom? seeing life from God's perspective, and living accordingly. You see, a hunger for godliness and wisdom explains why the boy Jesus remained behind in the temple. Even though his parents were leaving to return to Nazareth with the rest of the caravan, Jesus wanted to grow in godliness, and he wanted to remain at the center of where God's presence and God's people dwelt at that time, and that was at the temple. Jesus wanted to grow in wisdom, and he wanted to learn from the teachers at the temple. And so he sat at their feet and became so engrossed in what they were teaching and what he was learning, and the questions he was asking, and the answers that he was giving, that he remained there and abided there. He remained in a posture of growth. Now be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. And ask yourself, am I growing in godliness and wisdom? Have I wasted this pandemic? Have I wasted my time in quarantine and lockdown and surfing and watching and not reading and praying and growing? But hey, be honest, because there's hope 
in your honesty. No matter what your answer to these questions are, there is hope. Why? Because Jesus' incarnation was for our transformation. See, that's the good news. Get honest and say, I can't do this. And then rejoice in the hope that Jesus' incarnation was for our transformation. You see, Jesus grew in godliness without ever sinning. He grew in wisdom without ever getting it wrong. And he did it so that he could save you and grow you to do the same thing. And that's good news. But how did Jesus do it? What are the means of growth? So let's look at that truth from this passage. The means of growth. How did Jesus grow, and what does that tell us about how we should grow? Well, the means of growth is always God's grace. Let's say that together through our masks. The means of growth is always God's grace. Look at verse 40. And the grace of God was upon him. The favor of God. It's the word, charis. It's grace. The grace of God was upon him. And immediately we're into the mystery of the incarnation and the Trinity all over again. Think about it. Jesus, who is God, and the one who gives grace, is receiving grace. I can't explain it. It's a mystery of incarnation. But here we have it. God the Son is receiving grace... From God the Father. It's an amazing, deep, profound truth. And you say, well, I mean, just basically the the mind-blown emoji should be going off in your head. And why is that? Because I can't explain it, but I can say that in his humanity... Jesus needed the grace of God to grow in godliness and wisdom. And you do too. And so do I. Listen, listen, think about what this is doing. It's blowing away our excuses. I mean, if Jesus needed the grace of God to grow, we need. It's presumptuous of us to try to live the Christian life without depending on God's grace by faith in him. God's sovereign grace is the only way you and I can grow in godliness and wisdom. But, but. How can we grow in God's grace? The answer is simple. God uses very ordinary means to grow us. Even though Jesus was extraordinary as a person due to his incarnation, truly God, truly man, he grew in very ordinary ways, okay? So instead of like uh, making clay pigeons into birds and calling down fiery judgment on bullies, Jesus is living a normal human life and he's growing by ordinary means. So what are those means? Well, this passage, I believe, highlights three of them. So let's look at them. Three ordinary means of grace. How does God impart grace to you to grow you? Here are three ordinary means of grace. The first is the Word of God, which is the Bible. I said in the Bible. I should have said which is the Bible. Uh, The Word of God in the written scriptures. 
Jesus is sitting in the temple at the feet of teachers to learn God's Word. Can it get any simpler? Okay, how did Jesus learn and grow and get grace from God? He sat under the teaching of God's Word, just like you're sitting here now. The li- but again, we got the mystery of the incarnation. Let this, let this wash over you. The living Word is learning the written Word from human teachers. The Word who was with God from the beginning and is God is learning about God from the Old Testament Scriptures. Listen, this is significant stuff. There is no other religious leader. There is no other human being on this planet that can make the claims and back them up that I am truly human and truly God and without sin. We can be sure that his godly parents also taught Jesus the Old Testament scriptures from an early age. That's what they were taught to do in Deuteronomy 6. And more importantly, we know from this passage that his parents lived their lives according to the word of God in front of their children. Kids, parents, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, we all as parents need to be humbled before the Lord to understand that speaking the Bible to our kids will not impact them like living the Bible before our kids. And we can bring our kids to church week after week, year after year, and they can be exposed to great ministry like they are here at our church. And yet, if you counter the teaching of the Word of God at home, you are setting up your children for destruction. Now, God intervenes, and He can save kids out of those kind of hypocritical homes, and He can sanctify them, but it it, it creates turmoil in the lives of your children. And yet here in verse 39, notice what it says about Jesus' parents. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. As a, here, all throughout Luke 1 and 2, God's people are careful to obey God's word. That is how you grow. Jesus, or God imparts grace to us through being in the word of God. God gives you his grace through the reading, the meditating, the memorizing, the studying, and the applying of God's word. You say, oh, I'm overwhelmed. I can't do all those things. Do one of them. Do one of them and apply what God teaches you. He will impart grace. Listen, when this book is shut, you're shutting yourself off from God's grace being imparted. When you open this book up and you dive into it and you begin to feed on it and struggle with it and strive to understand it, God imparts grace. But there's a second ordinary means of grace implied in this passage, and it's this. The Spirit of God in prayer and praise. The Spirit of God in prayer and praise. Luke, as I've already said, in chapter 1, verse 80 says that Jesus' cousin John grew in spirit. I believe that means that John grew by the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, and with the Holy Spirit. And prayer is one of the surest means of growing in the Spirit. And the Spirit-filled life is evidenced by a praying life. 
In Ephesians 6.17, the Apostle Paul calls the Bible the sword of the Spirit. You need the Spirit to understand the Word. But he then says in verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. Jude says this same thing. Jude says, but you, beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith, the Word of God, praying in the Spirit. This is how you keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, you know what's beautiful about Luke chapter 1 and 2 is this. It's full of songs, of praise. It's full of men and women filled with the Spirit like Simeon, committed to prayer like Anna, who basically lived in the temple offering up prayers. And as a boy... In this passage, Jesus chooses to remain and abide in the Father's house, the temple, the temple which he called as an adult a house of prayer for the nations. In the Gospels, Jesus is continually getting alone to pray to his heavenly Father, and he taught his disciples to do the same. Guess what? You know where he learned to pray? By listening to his parents. By listening to his parents pray. And by being taught by his parents to pray. You see, Jesus was a man of prayer because as a boy he learned how to pray by listening and being taught by his parents. Listen, if you're going to grow like Jesus grew, then you need to learn how to walk in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit, and keep in step with the Spirit. Because God gives grace through his spirit, as you pray and as you praise. What a great praise time this morning. Amen? And when the spirit, and listen, to not sing during our worship is an evident that you're not a spirit-filled person because spirit-filled people, they just sing. And listen, not every time I come here am I wanting to sing praises to God. Like, you're, you're a pastor. Yeah, no kidding. I'm a human, right? But you know what? I participate. And as I participate, the Spirit moves me. And pretty soon, maybe through tears. But nonetheless, there's praise. And there's grace to carry on. Well, there's a third ordinary means of grace, and it's this. People of God gathered in worship. The people of God gathered in worship. Luke begins this section by informing us that every year, look at verse 41, every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. And then he says in verse 42, and when he became 12, they went up from there according to the custom of the feast, and as they were returning after spending the full number of days, in other words, this feast of the Passover And the unleavened bread was seven days long, but you technically, technically only had to come two days. But because his parents were godly and hungered for the grace of God, they stayed the full days. And then what does Jesus do? He stays even longer. He stays even longer. At the age of 12... Young people, at the age of 12, Jesus made a determination. I'm going to gather with God's people. This is going to be my lifestyle and my habit. You say, how do you know that, Chris? 
Well, in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, it says this, Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, his habit, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. I think you see the point. One of the ordinary means of grace by which Jesus grew was making it a holy habit to gather with God's people in worship. Now, let me stop and let me make three quick clarifications, especially on this point. First of all, I'm not saying that the more you go to church, the more spiritual you automatically become. Because you can sit in a garage and that won't make you a car. And you can sit in a church and it won't make you a Christian or a growing Christian. It's what you do when you are here and how you receive the grace of God. So that's the first clarification. The second is, I'm not saying that being in this building is what will give you grace to grow. It's not the actual building. It's gathering in one place with God's people. It can be under a tree, but it's gathering in one locale. And beloved, I know we're in hard times. And I know due to the pandemic and differing needs and everything, we've got... uh, uh, you know, we're watching online, but I'm telling you, online, by yourself, online with just a few people is a temporary and a secondary substitute. It's not even a substitute. It's just a second, it's a temporary necessity because this is what God uses to impart grace. And then third, let me say this. God in his sovereign providence uses 10,000 things to grow us. He can use the pandemic to grow us. He can use chaos in our culture to grow us. But there will never, ever be significant growth for the child of God apart from being in the Word of Christ, praying in the Spirit, and gathering with God's people. A Bibleless, prayerless, churchless Christian is simply unknown. In the Bible. Now, here is the good news. Growing in godliness through Bible intake, through prayer and local worshiping doesn't depend on you, but on God's grace at work in you. He became like us so that we could become like him. His incarnation was for our transformation, and he grew by grace And so can you. But let me leave you with one last truth, and it's this. The mission of his growth. The mission of his growth. Because you see, growing is never an end in itself. Growing up is always a means to a greater end. Amen? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Jesus grew up in order to go out and do his father's business. That was the idea. In fact, and it would take another message, we'll develop this in another message, the heart of this passage is Jesus' statement in verse 48 when he says, Why were you panicked? Why were you frantically searching everywhere? Did you not know that I would be in my father's house? Doing my father's business. You see, maturity is for ministry 
and multiplication. That's the idea. Basically, Jesus is saying, I'm growing up because I have a mission to accomplish. I'm growing spiritually because God's will must be done, and I'm going to do it. He's putting his parents on notice that even though he's 12, I have a mission, and you are my parents, but I have a heavenly father, and he has sent me to seek and to save those who are lost. And so we grow up to go out and do the father's will. We grow up to go out and do the father's will. So let me let me say this to you this morning. Are you searching for Jesus? Are you searching for God this morning? You will find him in his father's presence surrounded by his father's people who are learning from his father's word and praying to the father in the name of the son and the power of the spirit. Here's the good news this morning. Jesus grew and so can you by his grace. Jesus grew up so he could deliver us from our sin and enable us by his grace to grow up to be like him and do the will of his Father. And so I hope that you will take that and receive his grace to do that very thing this morning. Let's pray. With your heads bowed, let's do business with the Father this morning. And let me ask you, as these banners say up front here, do you know Christ this morning? Are you growing in Christ this morning? Are you showing Christ in your daily activity and attitude? Are you going with Christ to share the grace of God with those who are far from God? Listen, on our website, listen, if you want to grow and God is stirring by His grace and His Spirit in you this morning to grow, then go on our website, go on our social media pages, and there will be links there to all sorts of sources to help you to grow in Christ-likeness. We have 19 different Bible reading plans. There is one to fit you. Listen, the problem is not a lack of resources. It's a lack of willingness to use those resources. But the good news is Jesus forgave you and also gives you a new heart to hunger for him. Jesus came not only to save you, but to grow you by his grace. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come, and I don't know what you're doing in hearts, but I ask that you would call people to yourself. If they don't know you, Lord, I pray they would turn from their foolishness, turn from their sin, and trust wholly in you. And Lord, if we profess to know you, if anyone is here, and they're struggling, let them know. Speak to them that there is grace sufficient for their weakness. Lord, may there be acts of repentance, acts of commitment. May there be acts of growth in our midst this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.